Okay, welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do improvised horror stories. Uh, what I do is I pick out a random title and then make up the stories from there. And if you have any titles you'd like to submit uh, as the audience, you can send them to Quarantine Spook Show uh, gmail.com through more direct means of contacting me. Uh, not much uh, to go on uh, for the intro for this episode, uh, other than to say that it is uh, the Fall Equinox... Day specifically, uh, just so I can perform uh, during it. I don't know why I'm a little bit uh, extra nervous for recording this episode, but uh, that usually usually uh, means that it leads to something interesting, at the very least. So let's see what we have in store, shall we? Alright. This story is called Newspaper Clipping. wasn't someone who traveled too much, but whenever he did, he always made it, made it a point to seek out the local library and to look up their old newspaper archives. Start off as a hobby. He had one friend who was working on a some sort of term paper, and uh, he had to do some research at the library. And his friend was just like, "Oh yeah, they had some really good stuff there. You check out the uh, historical society and the library at some point." This was back in Boston. And Keith was just like, "Oh yeah, maybe I'll do that." there and I got really into it. 
the neighborhood he grew up. About what was happening uh, politically when his parents were coming of age. And how the uh, media outlets at the time reacted to it. And it's never a fair assessment to think that any media outlet uh, during a given time period is the, uh, the absolute opinion of that era. It's so interesting to look at that layer and to wonder where those types of judgments came from. So another Keith had to go to a sales conference or something. Especially if it was in a bigger city. He'd always make an effort to check out the libraries. Just to read about shit they were collecting. so many historical societies in different towns that uh, the librarians are starting to know him by name. And you're just like, ah, oh, Keith, what are you looking into this time? And he's just like, oh, I don't know, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He started to look into uh, political movements uh, during, at these libraries lesser degree social movements. And to see how media outlets were reacting to them at a time. And then if he felt like he made a sweep of a lot of the, uh, the general uprisings uh, that came within the past 50 or 100 years, he might uh, look up some personal stories probably be what we considered in the uh, true crime category of research. about looking up these newspaper clippings and these uh these random articles but that they'd reference each other in subtle subtle ways if he was looking up a social event for instance he'll encounter the names of the major players of that movement he'd do research into the major players their personal lives. And then Keith will start to discover their, uh, their network of people that they uh, collaborated with and communicated to. And 
cause a greater insight to the uh, social paradigm of that uh, movement or that era. section for the uh, Philadelphia Library. And he was looking up uh, how this, uh, that there was a serial killer in a city, and he was eventually caught in the 70s, and only had three victims, and no one gave it much thought afterwards. that uh, his uh, hometown was a uh, named Leicester. And Keith just thought, oh, what kind of place would that be? championship. Played a decent amount of sports. Seemed like a regular kid from a distance. But as he uh, looked into the bundle of this uh, town's history, there are a lot of disappearances that happened there. seemed random. There is no specific type of person that was abducted or disappeared. It happened so frequently that all these uh, wild stories started to come from it. Things about uh, creatures hiding in trees, or living underground, coming out at night, and trying to take people into the woods. 
short-lived uh, paranormal magazine. Lies and Deceit in Lee Sester, PA. Really came off more as like a newsletter or something like that. They were definitely seeking a, a standard to come off like Fate magazine. But as far as publishing quality, it was probably one or two clicks below that. reading all this and he was just like oh, I gotta gotta check out this uh, publication so I went to the library and was like hey do you have any, uh, any archives for uh, Lies and Deceit and Lee Sester and the young librarian said oh no we don't um, no but I do know I've seen that magazine around you know Sometimes you can find, like, a ripped-up cop copy, uh, you know, in a random Philly bookstore or something. But I do know the publisher of that magazine is still alive, and he still lives in Leicester now. And the local library of that town, you know, might have some archives of it, but he'll definitely have something, I'm sure. with a rented car. He blew off the last day of the conference uh, where uh, he canceled a lecture on talking about the most optimal ways to sell garage doors to various industries. on his uh, newspaper hobby. This was the first time where he went out of his way to do research. Usually he was hitting a library up and checking it out. But this time around it was more exciting. He wanted to go deeper. So I arrived in town. Uh, it was incredibly small. saw the Blair Witch Trials, like that type of foresty area. Or excuse me, the Blair Witch. The movie, the mockumentary found footage uh, thing. It had that similar vibe, and it seemed like he was on a similar journey to it. laughed at himself and was just dead oh, I guess I forgot my camcorder but he did keep a journal of uh, all the research he did when 
Whenever he did research like this, he always thought to himself that uh, he possibly could have been a scholar. But when the way of garage door uh, salesman, which not a terrible line of work, but certainly wasn't what he wanted to do. about checking out the library first. But he said he goes straight to the source. The publisher's name was Paul Simmons. He was the editor-in-chief Lies into Seton Lee Sester magazine. In 1964 to 1982. During the 70s, it had a fairly widespread publication, uh, a regional one. Uh, and it was a pretty go to as far as. Uh, Paranorm uh, paranormal rags go. And even though the publication started off in focusing on the happenings of Lee Sester, they also specialize in uh, other states, other areas. Lots of people were uh, contributing and uh, writing in, claiming they had sightings. Has had his own little investigative team to look into it. And 99 times out of 100, those investigators would go to these random places in the Mid Atlantic region Pennsylvania, Delaware, Jersey, sometimes Connecticut, New York State, and what have you. Investigators would go and uh, they'd investigate, and then they come back and be like, "Oh, I didn't see anything. Uh, didn't see anything crazy over there, but the spirit of it really was certainly there." But if someone went and saw something, or was just like, "Yeah, I can't explain that at all," that's when he knew, and truly, there was something to it. trust anyone creeping up if he was expecting a visitor he was always always waiting 
He didn't like anyone he was interacting with out of his line of sight. Perhaps an inherent paranoia in the life of a paranormal investigator of the previous generation. sat down uh, for a brief interview. Keith had his journal and was making notes, but in his head he was just like, I don't fucking work for anyone. You know, I don't work at a media outlet or a, any sort of publication or anything. Not even a blog, you know? I don't know why I'm doing this interview, man. Despite his reputation, uh, Paul Simmons was a very relaxing presence. He just said, oh, you're nervous, aren't you? Keith sighed and was just like, yeah, I guess so, you know. I mean, I don't even know what I'm doing here, man. You know, you just hang out in libraries for a bit and suddenly you're just in some random town that you've never heard of before. And Paul Simmons nodded and said, oh, yeah. in your uh, email that you were from Boston. And uh, Keith said, yeah, yeah. Paul nodded and chuckled, and he was just like, uh, yeah, I was born in this town, you know. I spent a lot of my youth uh, spending time in the larger cities. And then you, born in a larger city, find yourself in a town like this. fascinating is it? The need for investigation. And the curiosity that comes with it. It can truly lead you to doing the most ridiculous things. And Keith said, yeah, yeah, I guess so, you know. And Paul said, you know, if you were, you know, if you were, uh, magazine was still in print, I'd totally hire you, just saying, or at least accept contributions and work from there. But we don't live in that kind of time anymore. Keith nodded and said, uh, no, I guess not. And Keith said, I don't really have any real agenda here, just curious, uh, you know, I heard some other weird things that would happen in your town, or at least the stories and myths, you know. So I just came to learn more. Wanted to start with uh, going through some of your archives. Paul said, "Well, I got multiple copies of every issue of the magazine. Uh, you're welcome to take what you need, uh, one of each, you know." Yeah, I'd say have, I'd have anywhere between, you know, twenty to fifty copies of each each issue. exception of the first few years, those I'm not as keen on giving away. But I'm happy to let you have whatever you need, uh, as long as it's put to good use. 
Keith got excited and started to, you know, like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then Paul led Keith to the basement, where all the stacks of magazines were present, all in cardboard boxes that were water damaged. Luckily, most of the magazines were in uh, plastic sleeves, so they're still preserved. You know what actually led me here was, uh, was the, uh you know, the, learning about the, uh, the skull face killer, you know? Paul's demeanor changed. He's like, oh, the skull face killer. Uh, that, uh, serial killer from, uh, Philadelphia. That would bash his victims in, uh, in front of their skulls. pieces while they were still breathing. And Keith said, that's right, I was reading that he was born here. Paul sighed and said, yeah, he was my son. And Keith was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Paul's like, no, 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 don't, uh, don't worry about it. to uh, educate him on the things that I was doing without pushing too hard, you know. But just to be receptive of any paranormal uh, phenomena that would occur around him. But it became too much for him, uh, for his uh, mental capacity. He already had a few issues, uh, a whirlwind in his head and all that, ever since he was born. But I thought learning about these things would, uh, help absolve it in some way. To help contextualize the demons he had in his mind, so they wouldn't control him, but... I suppose it did the opposite, and he, uh, he lost control of his own, his own needs and desires started to act on pure hate and confusion. And then Keith just blurted out, uh, what do you think broke him? Paul just gave him a look. It was kind of the face that said, uh, how the fuck dare you ask me that? But a part of his, uh, investigator side, uh, some level admired the gumption. And then Paul said, well, he was a contributing writer. Uh, we were covering the disappearances.
went out uh, to go investigate. As part of a contributing writer uh, trial run, I guess. He was still pretty new to the magazine, but I was uh, giving him my full support and paying him very well. Not that I wanted him to really do what I do per se, but surely I hope it opened some doors in how he understood the world and, you know, I can write a hell of a letter of recommendation for whatever, whatever schools or jobs he wanted to pursue. But he went into those woods and, uh, see him again until I saw him on the news. Dead on the asphalt and somewhere in West Philadelphia. Or Upper Derby, perhaps. Could have even been Center City. So it's dramatic seeing him on the news that you'd think I'd remember the exact specific location where his body was found. You know, they'd always say that he had a uh, three victims, uh, three people that he uh, bashed his skulls in, but he died by smashing himself in the face. So in my head, he was always the fourth victim. Keith nodded slowly, mildly regretting that he asked. And he said, so what do you, uh, what do you know about and the disappearances and whatnot. Paul just shrugged and was just like, ah, I don't know. I know there's a cabin over there that, uh, you know, a lot of teenagers go, you know, they break in on a dare or something. All covered in graffiti. And it's pretty well preserved for being built in the 1840s, but everyone said there was something off about that cabin. I guess I'd say that's where he went. But no, I don't have no way of uh, knowing for sure. Yeah, when 1981, 82 rolled around, I just got sick of the whole thing. Put my inquiries to rest. It was too painful. Too painful. learning how my son lost himself would be too much for me, I don't know. 
I just in this house being surrounded by yellow paper? The smell of it. The smell of the ink. I'm wondering if it was all worth it. listening uh, to his recollection he's uh, never given a done an interview uh, like this at any capacity and didn't quite know how to proceed but the only thing he thought to ask was so where's this cabin gave him the address of the cabin in Beaver Woods. Obviously it wasn't a far drive. But the woods were bigger than what he expected. shared a property with uh, the five surrounding towns. Beaver Woods was a center point for all of them. So every, uh, so five pieces of Beaver Woods were shared by a different township. And it made it very difficult for the local law enforcement to, uh, you know, try to arrest people in those because no one really knew where the township lines were. Perhaps that was part of the reason uh, why there are so many disappearances in those woods. Those kind of woods that were easy to get lost in. And Keith's driving through, to him it felt very Blair Witch. But it was exciting to him. thrilled of it. His own clouded judgment, uh, getting him excited for being like, ah, oh, the, the source of a serial killer's madness. I wonder what it could possibly be. flashlight with him. Parked at the outskirts of the woods and started heading in. Paul mentioned that the walk took about 30 minutes. Keith had felt so much longer. It was like he entered a, a different time vortex that operated by its own physics.
we found the cabin. Wasn't quite what he expected, but also I've seen plenty of old uh, stone cabins and houses before, considering the region. some sort of potency uh, when you encounter something so, so old. But upon seeing it, there's also a component of it being anticlimactic, him thinking, it's just a house. Just a small house, that's all. some of it, but, you know, it's just a cabin, just a stone cabin, just nothing here. You know, they probably thought, huh, maybe the problems with the skull face killer were his own. flight in a few hours. And he just thought to himself, how did I, how was I drawn to this little cabin? What drew me here? side of the room he sees a fireplace but he took a closer look at it and it looked like it was used recently
We got closer and expected it, and inspected it a bit. the soot a little bit, and then he found an old pocket watch in it. It seemed good as new, but it wasn't ticking. set of small set of stairs and a very tiny cellar underneath. And all of a sudden he heard uh, dry leaves break outside the cabin. There are footsteps coming towards the door. a little bit, trying not to creak on the stairs too loud, but it's incredibly hard not to. You couldn't see who was inside. trapdoor about the tall figure stomping around he walked around back and back and forth and just started to scream it was a deep primal scream and he threw this big clunky object across the room stormed out again.
Keith waited there for a moment. And when he felt like he was alone again, he slowly crept out of the cellar area. to be stealthy as he moved, but he saw what the blunt object was without strewn across the room. It was a sledgehammer with blood on it. He had some gloves in his pocket and It, thinking that uh, might be evidence or a weapon I could use to protect myself or something. But he walked out of the cabin, and then he saw the figure not too far away. He was frozen and stared at him. so, so dark out that Keith wasn't even sure if that was a person or an apparition. But then the figure started to charge toward Keith. And then Keith just started running. As fast as he could and as fast as he ever had in his life. tried to run in the direction of his car, but he had no direction of where that could be. The person chasing him just kept screaming. Very primal and rage-filled scream. started to get a little bit tired and realized that he had to fight. So he stopped and took one swing at the figure. Hit him square in the face. With how fast the figure is running, uh, the impact stopped him in his tracks. And he fell down, totally out cold. started to freak out and fumbled with his flashlight and then pointed at the figure it was Paul Simmons once Keith ran to his car and uh, had enough signal in his phone to make the call about what happened 
law enforcement came, but uh, we couldn't find the body in the woods. day they would visit a Paul Simmons house but it was unoccupied. Eventually Keith was chatting with some investigators uh, in the region of town who was uh, they were looking into the disappearances. And Keith mentioned that he saw Paul Simmons in the woods. It solidified their theory. Simmons was a long career serial killer. He would bash his victims' uh, faces in and abandon the bodies and hide them. Very few of them were found. He started the uh, Paranormal magazine to either cover his tracks or that Paul didn't really know that he was committing the murders. And blamed it on paranormal for forces. And apparently his son found out. son as the killer that would uh, bash his victim's face in. It felt good to Keith. Uh, his investigations or his version of it led to some answers and led to some truth in such a small place. Because he lived in a time where the truth was depleted. And he wondered if uh, people would ever find Paul Simmons. how deeply you investigate into something. Sometimes uh, you're always left wondering. Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. And good night.
Happy Fall Equinox.